is music, and I love listening to some songs so much that I put them on repeat, and it's not uncommon for me to listen to a song like 75 times in a row. Uh, that hymn that we just sung is one of those, so that's your song for the Christmas season. We sing it for the interns sometimes three days a week. We sing it at the elders meeting. We sing it here on Sundays. I'm singing it with my kids at home. I'm listening to it in my study. It's a beautiful presentation of the gospel. I would encourage you to take one of the programs if you did not get one today, take it home with you, and just use that in your devotional time this week. In fact, use the entire program in your devotional time this week as you just remember the gospel uh, in your times of reading and studying the scripture. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, we invite you to open with us to the book of James. If you do not have a Bible with you, you should be able to find a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word that you have to read from regularly, we would love for you to take that home with you and just consider that a gift from us to you today so that you might learn more about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came to do. You're going to be able to find the book of James somewhere around page 1011 in those Bibles. The page numbers are a little different depending on which Bible you pick up. But somewhere around page 1011. And today we're going to turn our attention to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're going to focus on the first 12 verses. James writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one among men is able to subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, we ask us that you would help us now as we turn our attention to your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the gospel as it has been revealed in your word. Father, we thank you for the words that we just sung a few moments ago, reminding us of the beautiful truths of the gospel, that you are the God beyond comprehension and because of love, you sent your son, Savior and King, 
Father, we ask that now you would reveal him to us in your word, the word of truth. Lord, we ask that you would write these eternal life words on our hearts and strengthen us if we are believers and if there are some among us who are not yet Christians, that today you would use these eternal life words to open their hearts to the truth of the gospel and cause them to be born again. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Every time we speak, we affect ourselves and the world around us. Some words, Scripture tells us, are like sparks that ignite a fire and leaves everyone else around us scorched. Other words are like fruit from the tree of life, which bring delight and satisfaction and nourishment and encouragement and hope, both to the speaker and to the hearer. Our words never leave us unchanged. Friends, we never say mere words. Every time we speak, we are opening up new possibilities for the future, something we know to be true by simply considering our nation's history. We, the people of the United States, four scores and seven years ago, to some generations, much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. I have a dream. Let's roll. Some things we say, however, open up a vast future, not only for everyone around us, but for our lives specifically and for us personally. Saying good morning will affect the next few minutes or hours or perhaps the rest of the day, but only in rare circumstances does good morning change the rest of someone else's life. Except, of course, in the case of Bilbo Baggins when he good morning Gandalf the Grey, but that's an adventure for another time. But there are many times when we speak, and in speaking, our lives are changed radically and foundationally forever. For many of you here, your wedding day was such a day. After speaking vows, the groom's parents had a daughter-in-law, and the bride's parents had a son-in-law, and siblings had gained a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law, and everyone's relationship with everyone else was thoroughly rearranged and changed absolutely forever. Above all, the things that we said on that day will never be erased from our records. Words that will invariably and necessarily affect us for the rest of our lives. Whether we keep our vows or not, the rest of our lives will be determined by the words that we spoke on that day, which is why a man who breaks a wedding vow is guilty, only because once upon a time he took a wedding vow. If we had any sensitivity to the momentous nature of the words that we speak on a daily basis, we might be well terrified to speak at all rather than see it as a normal occurrence in our lives, particularly when we consider the power of our words. I love you. I hate you. You're a blessing. You're an idiot. Can I sit with you? Never talk to me again. I do. I'm leaving. You're smart. You're stupid. And yet we think words. And we hear words. And we speak words. And we sing words. And we write words. 
And we read words all of the time. Every day. But what do words have to do with Christianity? Almost everything. Because the God of the Bible is a speaking God who creates by words. And he gives to his people the ten words. And then he sends to his people the incarnate word. And he saves his people by faith that comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in the New Testament's longest sustained teaching on words, James tells us words must be used for the spiritual benefit of others because words influence, words destroy, and words contradict. But to see it clearly, we have to see the structure. So I want you to just look with me again, like we did last week, at the passage as a whole very quickly. And one of the things you'll see, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, James writes, and then he gives us a summary statement at the end of verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And then we see verses 5 to 8. And then there's another summary statement at the end of verse 8. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And then the final section, verses 9 through 12, but the summary statement is in the middle. In verse 10, James says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. And in each of those three sections, James gives us two illustrations. Because like a good preacher, he wants us to see what he is writing to us and speaking to us. Two illustrations in each one. The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder in the ship in the first section. Fire in animals in the second section. And fig trees and salt water and fresh water and a grapevine in the last section. As he's comparing these things for us. Notice first, words influence. Look again in the first section, verses 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James catches our attention, verse 1, my brothers, by saying, whatever you do, do not become a Christian minister, which is not exactly what we would expect from a Christian man writing a Christian book. But the first thing he says is, do not become a Christian minister. Why? Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers because for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James is not cautioning against teaching generally. He is concerned with people recklessly taking up the teacher's mantle in the context of the local church. As these believers are coming to faith in Christ, just like believers here, they start to see lots of gifts operating in the context of the church. And like believers here in our midst, we naturally value the public gifts and the ones that are seen and seem to give prominence. And so we all gravitate to those gifts and think those are the important ones. But James has a word of caution. 
Do not think that those are the only important ones. And if you gravitate towards those, do not be quick to gravitate toward those gifts. James is concerned because of how much damage can be done by someone's words. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. All around us in this community. Just take some time this afternoon or another Sunday after church and walk around the community. And one of the things that you will find in our community or if you just drive around other surrounding communities are churches that once were full and vibrant. There was a time when this building on the first Sunday that it ever held a service had 500 people crammed into this building and that when it used to be a balcony. And now those churches are empty and lifeless. Because somewhere along the line, the Bible became simply a tool for preaching and teaching to a congregation of customers so that someone could earn a paycheck rather than the word of God for the people of God to the glory of God. And now, even when we see people gathered, whether they are small numbers or larger numbers, the congregation along with the clergy have turned from the word of God as religion became something like a social event rather than something that is pure and undefiled that James is teaching us about. And who does James blame for this? Teachers. Because with greater knowledge brings greater responsibility, and James says, greater liability for failure and judgment. All of us, James says, sin in all sorts of ways, not least of which is our speech. In fact, it is so difficult for us to use our words correctly and accurately and wholesome all of the time, that James says for any person to do that means that they would not sin in any other way at all. Verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And a teaching church that is full of teachers and would-be teachers some of whom we're preparing to set apart as elders this evening, Lord willing, in our members meeting, James issues a warning. So before we give any more attention to the text or go any further, let me say something to some of you men here. You desire a noble task. But remember, it is easy for you to say that you will serve God while things are going well. Frankly, it is easy to say that you do not believe in God when things are going well in your life. But what about when they're not going well? And life is hard. And the people that you teach are difficult. Or they're complicated. Or they're needy. What about then? Will you be faithful to discharge your duties in all of those moments? When your office requires that you might be tired? Or underpaid? Or unpaid? Will you be faithful in those moments? to teach and to use your words in a way that bless God's people. On the one hand, it is easy for this church to take for granted all of the opportunities that we have to sit under faithful teaching. From Sunday morning to Sunday evening, you should come back. Tim Garber is one of the best preachers in the church. To academy, Sunday night theology. But on the other hand, it is easy for our church to think that ministry is something that's glamorous, when we see people operating in all of these contexts. So men, let me say something to you. You aspire to a good thing, a good office, but do not be too hasty. It is not always a glamorous calling. Watch your life 
along with all of your doctrine. And James says, watch your words as you serve God's people. Because small things like words influence large things like people's lives. Verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Though he begins with teachers, James' focus is not just on the teachers, it's on the tongue. Look with me in verse five. You'll see these different references. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Verse six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Verse eight. But no human being can tame the tongue. So all throughout the letters, he's writing to these people and he's concerned not just with the teachers, but how the tongue is used in the life of the church. He's exhorting everyone and all of us to be slow to speak as we learn to bridle our tongue so that we do not speak evil against one another or grumble against one another, but instead learn to confess our sins to one another. Have you been speaking evil against other people in the church? Or grumbling against other people because they're difficult to deal with without realizing that perhaps you're difficult to deal with for other people? Like bits in the mouths of horses, words influence lives. And like rudders on a ship, words change the entire course of someone's future. From the prosperity gospel to multi-leveling marketing campaigns to other conspiracy theories in her book, Cultish, the Language of Fanaticism, Amanda Montel shows the power of words to influence as well as deceive people for the purpose of gain. People are influenced by believing false things because people are speaking false words. But James isn't only concerned about the use of words in big-time religion or industry schemes, is he? He is speaking to the church, the verse one brothers in these local churches, as he exhorts us to see the powerful influence that words have to shape and to guide people's lives. Friends, I distinctly remember the very first time that I actually became aware of the fact that somebody was going to make a major life decision because of the counsel that I was giving as a minister of the gospel. Friends, the authority of words is a beautiful thing when it is used for the spiritual benefit of other people. But let me ask you, let us ask all of ourselves right now, how are you using the authority of words in your life? Husbands, are you berating and belittling your wife and your children with your words? Friends, Are you gossiping and slandering those that you are jealous of with your words? Members of this church, are you angry and backbiting toward the leadership or other members with your words? Words define and they create. Words build beautiful things. They also redefine and decreate and destroy. So James tells us that words must be used for the spiritual benefit of other people because words influence. Notice second, words destroy. Look at verse five, the back half of it. 
How great a fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one among human beings can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. James compares our words, insignificant though they may seem to us, as people who speak all of the time and this flood of words is always coming out. He compares them to, verse 5, a fire. A small fire that sets our life ablaze. A few years ago, there was a family in California, and they were trying to reveal the gender of their baby during a time when they were not to set anything afire because there was a drought. And they had this small little spark because they wanted there to be a little firework, and they burned half the state. A small fire sets everything ablaze. Who among us cannot remember words that we could not get back as soon as we spoke them before they got us in trouble, or they exposed us to be a liar, or they actually finally demonstrated the anger that is simmering just underneath the surface of our life and raging as we play out the mental tape, or revealed the jealousy that we've been harboring, or perhaps even got us fired. And what's worse, they not only set our life ablaze, but the lives of everyone else around us as well. The entire forest is set ablaze. Who among us cannot think of the lives of others who have been devastated by our words? Before we could reach out and grab the words and bring them back to our lives before the damage is done, the relationship is ruined. And the friendship has been destroyed. And the truth has been compromised. An entire evening has been disrupted. And the holiday is ruined. And the person is offended. Apologies can be made. Forgiveness can be given. But words can never be unspoken. As some of you this morning know very well, for years you've been carrying around the baggage of a burden of someone else's careless words in your life. Friends, let me just pause and encourage you this morning. The Lord Jesus knew exactly what it was like to be railed by someone else's words, to be falsely accused. His family thought that he was out of his mind. His countrymen said that he was a lunatic. And that is why, friend, he is able to empathize with you as a high priest so effectively. You can take all of your burdens to the Lord Jesus Christ because he not only hears, but he understands but for everyone else, let me ask you, particularly if you call yourself a Christian here this morning, are you careless with your words? What would your spouse say about the way that you use your words? Or your friends and family, what would they say about the way that you use your words? Your fellow church members, what would they say about the way that you use your words? Or if we look through your text stream and checked your emails and saw what you wrote in your journal, if we were able to read your mind and see what you thought as everybody walked in and out this morning with a smile on your face, 
You see, it is possible for you to think, my tone is fine when it's not. Or I'm just telling people like it is when you're really being arrogant and rude. Or I didn't mean to hurt them when they're devastated because of what you've spoken. And what's worse, James says, is that we cannot stop. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says that the words that blunt and bruise, that hurt and destroy, that misrepresent and mischaricature other people's lives just keep pouring out of our mouths. Like untamed animals, they follow no direction and they actually control us. They break out of our mouths like caged beasts waiting to escape in the moment that we least expect. Have you ever said something that you never thought that you would actually say to somebody else? And a moment in time when you never thought that you would actually say something? James tells us that our words are evil, that our mouths are sinful, that our words are never really under control because, verse 6, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The source of all of their evil and destruction, the apostle tells us, is from hell. And that makes sense when we consider the broader biblical story. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip to the beginning with me, James chapter 3, or Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God has made a beautiful world with words in chapter 1 speaking things into existence and giving them affirmation of goodness with words. God has used his words to create and to empower man and woman and to be able to care for the world and to go and to subdue it and to build beautiful things. And then in chapter 3, we see this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said, you say things with words, He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now notice she sees it differently after the words have deceived her. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They thought they saw, but now they really see. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The serpent was the first to take up this arm of words against God, using them to sow distrust and to betray words used to misguide God's people that God had made in his own image. But what is worse in Genesis is that we see that Adam and Eve took up those words and they used them against God himself as well. 
They sided with Satan against the God who created them as they spoke lies, even as they imaged God by speaking as God spoke. And friends, the Bible says that we have all done the same. In fact, James says that we have all done the same. Verse 2 of chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways. Not some of us, not the young among us, not the old among us, not the rich among us, or the poor among us, but absolutely every single one of us stumble in many ways. Not just in a few ways, not in one way in particular, but in many ways in all areas of our lives. We are stumbling and sinning all of the time, and our sin testifies against us. That we have actually sided with the enemy of our souls against the God who has created us in his image. And the Bible is really clear about the outcome of that way of life. Death. But friends, there is hope because of the gospel. There is hope because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of sinful men and women, living a perfect life in absolute obedience to God, and dying a death that we all deserve to die as our substitute, and now has been raised for our justification, our declared righteousness before God, and is now ascended on high before the Father, interceding, using words, praying for us that we might make it home. So friends, if we would turn away from sin and believe in that gospel and that good news, we can be saved. Saved from this alliance that we have with the enemy of our souls against our God so that we might finally side with God against the enemy of our souls. Believer, if you're here today, that gospel message is the one that we remind ourselves of every single week. But friend, perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian. And you hear this and it all sounds strange Religious but funny, we're here to tell you, friend, that that gospel message is good news for you this morning. That God has brought you to this place so that you might hear that these eternal life words are being offered to you right now. That if you would turn away from sin, if you would repent, turn away from it and ask God to forgive you of your sins, you might be born again by the Spirit of God. You might have everlasting life. By believing in those words, you can be set on a new path and the entirety of your life can be redirected because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Friend, would you believe that gospel? Would you trust in those words? Would you hope in the incarnate word this morning? You can do that today, right here, right now. Ask God to forgive you and he will forgive you. He will be merciful to pour out his grace richly upon you. And if you want to learn more about that, we would love to talk to you more about that. Friend, please come and find me. I'll be at the tunnel following the service or find one of the other members of this church and ask him, please tell me more about these eternal life words. But James isn't writing only or even primarily for believers, unbelievers, is he? Look with me in chapter 3 at the references here. Chapter 3, verse 1, my brothers. Chapter 3, verse 10, my brothers. Chapter 3, verse 12, my brothers. With three references to my brothers, James helps us see that these sins occur as much in the church as they do outside of the church, and in both places it's sin and wrong all the time. Friend, believer, when was the last time that you were angry towards somebody else with your words? When was the last time that you used filthy words 
Words that you would not say here at church. Words that manipulated somebody else or deceived somebody else or told a half-truth, which is an untruth and a lie. Or words that betrayed what you actually thought about somebody else. James says that our words betray us all of the time and they blaze a trail right from our sins straight to our heart and our lives and they reveal what is really in there. So let me ask you, believer, what do your words reveal about your faith? Is it a pure and undefiled religion as James says in chapter one, verse 26? Are you slow to speak like James encourages these believers to be in chapter 1, verse 19? Are you quick to speak and fast to berate? You see, one of the things that hasn't changed much between the ancient world and the modern world is that people are always quick to speak. They want to use their words. I have something to say, and people need to hear it. James knew that was a problem then, and it is a problem now. People need to listen to me. I have something to say. And James says, be warned. You might not be who you think you are. And your faith might not be what you think it is. Words influence. Words destroy. Notice third, words contradict. Look with me in verse nine. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These verses show the duplicity of our words. Again, believer, what do your words reveal about your faith? Small things like words reveal the nature of larger things, more important things like our hearts. And they reveal our anger and bitterness and jealousy and discontentment and frustration and hatred and unbelief. And James helps us see that this with several illustrations all coming to us in the form of questions and every single question expects no for an answer. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Springs do not pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water. Figs don't bear two types of fruit. Grapevines don't produce figs. And so it should be with our tongues. Or as one preacher said, a tongue that has sided with heaven will produce heavenly speech. And a tongue that has sided with hell will produce hellish speech. But a tongue that consistently pours forth both is a contradiction and makes no sense at all. And if we read James carefully, we see that his illustrations teach us that it is not possible for them to teach, for them to produce both at all. James tells us that words must be used for the spiritual benefit of other people. What do your words reveal about who you are and what are your words doing to other people? Members of this church, are you using your words to encourage other members of this church to keep the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Are you using your words to pray for people in the context of this church? 
Are you using your words that God has given you to evangelize the unbelieving community around us so that they might have faith, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? Are you using your words to shape your children or the children of this church if you don't have children? Are you using your words to encourage people in their walk with Christ? Are you using your words to actually bless people as we sing loud? One of the reasons we use our words to sing loud and we turn the volume down so that we can hear you is that your words are the actual blessing to people on a Sunday morning, which is why there's no need to be ashamed. You've ever heard me on the front row. You know there is nothing beautiful coming out over there. But you use the words to bless the people around you. James tells us that there is no such thing as a mouth that is pouring forth both. If our mouth confesses a love for God, then our mouth should be used to encourage our neighbor, whether we write it or think it or speak it verbally. Because James tells us that words must be used for the spiritual benefit of other people. And James tells us that when they are used like that, that that person is the, verse two, perfect man, the complete person, the person who, as we've been learning through the book of James, has an integrated life. Their speech and their life match. What they believe and what they do match. Who they claim to be and who they actually are are the same. They are an integrated, perfect, complete, whole person. Because by our words we will be justified, but by our words we will be condemned, Jesus tells us. As the first fruits of God's renewed creation, James tells us words must be used for the spiritual benefit of others. And for the Christian, never have words been used more effectively than on the last night of the Lord's life when he was instituting the Lord's Last Supper. If you have your Bible, flip with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Now think about the words of our Lord Jesus. Verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city. And they found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is the one... It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Jesus speaking these beautiful eternal life words as he's proclaiming to these people the gospel of the kingdom. My body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. But if you're a careful reader of Mark's gospel, what is on other side of those beautiful words that the Lord Jesus speaks? The words of Judas going to the high priests, betraying Jesus with his words. And the words of Peter, I will die with you, denying Jesus before a servant girl, not once, not twice, but three times. It was easy to say when Jesus was right beside him, I will never leave you. And then things got difficult. And it was harder than he ever thought it would be. I swear to God, I do not even know the man. Jesus speaking beautiful words, creating a people with words and with his action, and people using their words to show unbelief and disbelief and a lack of trust. Friends, not much has changed in 21 centuries, has it? It's easy with the congregation behind you to sing about the power of the cross. It's an entirely different thing Monday through Saturday to allow all of that to match in our lives, not only in how we live, but in how we speak. Brothers and sisters, on the night of the, our Savior died, before he suffered, as he was instituting the sacrament of his body and blood, Jesus is speaking words about a sign, a pledge, so that they might remember him, not only as they believe these words, but as they observe this ordinance in the context of the church. And as we gather here this morning and are now before this table, we're reminding ourselves not only of these eternal life words, but of those actions for us and for our salvation. And they remind us of what Jesus Christ did for us. And they proclaim to us the gospel, a gospel of forgiveness, a gospel of hope, a gospel of redemption, a gospel of mercy, a gospel calling us away from sin, a gospel calling us to walk in the light. A gospel calling us to turn away from evil. A gospel calling us to trust and believe in God. A gospel that we proclaim to other people. And if you're not a Christian, we proclaim to you today, not only by what we're preaching, but literally by what we're going to be observing in a few moments, that Jesus Christ came into this world to give his life as a sacrifice for the people that he so loved. He loved us so much that he died as our substitute. And he loves us so much still that he would gather us as the people of God each Lord day, uh, Lord's day until he returns to remind us of the eternal truth that is ours in Christ. Friends, as the benefit is great for us today, so also is the cost of being people who James is teaching us are duplicitous. We're not who we say we are. And whether that means you're an unbeliever and you're here, and we're going to exhort you in a few moments to not come to the table, or you're a believer who is here, and you need to turn away from conscious, known sin in your life. In both of those cases, we're confronted with the reality. Friends, as we come to this table, let us examine our hearts, and let us consider what Christ did for us. And as we confess our sins, may we remind ourselves that every time we confess our sins, the scripture assures us that we will be met with the loving mercy of a forgiving God. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, repentance removes doubt. And it gives us assurance of pardon and it strengthens our faith. So as we come to this table this morning, let us remind ourselves of these truths and let us be confronted with the reality that we must be a people who use our words for the spiritual benefit of other people. And if you are here and you are not this morning, then the message is the same for you as it is for the unbeliever. Repent. Turn away from that type of speech and turn toward Christ. Friends, if you're here and you've repented of your sin and you've believed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized, if you're a member in good standing of an evangelical church that preaches the same gospel that this church preaches, then we welcome you to come to this table in just a few moments. But if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not a member of a church that preaches the same gospel that we preach, then friend, we tell you that the most godly thing that you can do is remain in your seat. Stay where you are. That is not the same as somebody looking for a new church. That is not the same as somebody struggling with their sin. But if you are never anywhere where you're held accountable and you are in conscious sin and you know that you're not repenting of it, my friend, the most godly thing that you can do when we come forward in just a few moments is stay in your seat and do business with God today and ask him to forgive you of your sins or go to the Membership Matters class after the church service. In just a few moments... I'm going to ask you to stand as I'm praying. There are going to be people who come down front, and they're going to help distribute the elements of this meal. You're going to break off a piece of the bread. You're going to take a cup. You're going to go back to your seat. Just walk to the outside of the row and then come back to your seat. But perhaps you're here today and you don't feel comfortable breaking off from that common loaf. I'll have a basket where we have some communion kits in there. Or if for some reason you're somebody here and there's a gluten intolerance that prevents you from taking that bread, we have some additional wafers down here in front as well. But friend, we invite you to come. And to remind ourselves of the gospel. Would you please stand? Those who are coming to serve, please come at this time. Father, we thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That reminds us of the great gospel promises that are ours in Christ. And Father, we thank you for this meal, these elements, this sacrament. Father, we ask now as we gather around this table that we would proclaim to one another the gospel once for all delivered to the people of God. Father, I pray for these, my friends, as we have gathered this morning, that you would encourage our faint hearts as we come to this table, reminding us of these precious truths. And Father, we pray together for those who are here among us who are not yet believers, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that you would remove the heart of stone, that you would insert the heart of flesh, that you would cause them to be born again. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.